three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Uh, welcome to Mr. Brightside. This is Matthew Bolton. And today's show is called, What is Objective Optimism? If you go to my website, matthewbolton.blog, you can see that I call myself a student of human flourishing and a proponent of objective optimism. So today, and probably in two parts, I want to kind of get into what is objective optimism. If I'm going to say this is a framework by which I live my life and I propose to um, encourage people to adopt, to uh, empower themselves toward living a, a, a good life, a successful, flourishing, thriving life, then we have to know what it is. And I think rather than just come out and say, objective optimism is this, uh, and, and it's not this, and blah, 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 I think it's a little more helpful um, to kind of talk about how I came to arrive at the concept and why I even saw a need for it. Um, I think maybe that's what we'll do today in part one, and then take on in part two next episode, kind of more of a breakdown of what it really, what it actually is. But that doesn't mean a lot of it won't be revealed today. In fact, I think we'll get to see in a lot of what you know what it is um, through the kind of examples I give today and the stories and and how I started to think about it. And maybe you yourself can induce the the concept yourself and and see. Oh, that's. Yes, you have to go. We had to go ahead and and uh, you know derive something like this. Um, if you go to the website right now, you can see a section called "What Is Objective Optimism," and there's a full uh, length essay presenting the whole thing, including applications and illustrations, um, including a table, a comparative table between um, objective optimism, pessimism, and more notably, what I'm going to call or have been calling subjective optimism, and which is why, you know, you'll see why I really thought we needed a clarifying concept that I'm calling objective optimism. So you can go there for all that if you want to go through, but not everybody wants to read. So here we are with this episode, and I can start to talk you through what it is. Um, so it all started um, in the summer. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts. It's The Human Flourishing Project uh, by Alex Epstein. And the episode was called Cultivating Appreciation. And um, I was really, uh, I was really impressed with the idea, and I quickly saw how appreciation for what we have in our lives is a very key factor in our happiness and in our actual more than just happiness, but our actual success uh, resulting from that. And it also occurred to me that I was really good at it already, right? the idea of appreciating. Um, you know, in my life, I often just out of nowhere tell my wife, you know, how pleased I am with something in the house. You know, I just really love the way this uh, room looks. I really like those flowers. This is great. Um, imagine what we're doing right now. This is so great how we, and she just kind of goes, okay. And, uh, you know, in fact, she sarcastically often tells me, why don't you tell me what you don't like? But that's just kind of what I'm all what I've been all about for for many years, um, well before I ever derived the kind of explicit 
concept of objective optimism. I've just been kind of a, you know, a Mr. Brightside. That's what my wife kind of refers to me as a lot, which is partly why the show is called that. Um, but that's uh, neither here nor there right now. So after that episode, I was, uh, I thought to myself that I have to present this to my students. I teach English conversation at Hanshin University in Korea. And I often take an article or um, a talk, a podcast, some kind of idea that I think is something uh, worthy of discussion. And I present it to them in a way that is consumable for them, often a prezi with a mini lecture uh, at their pace, understandable terms, etc. And we discuss it. So I did this and it was a really fun uh, lesson. And I was also uh, driven to write an article to kind of emphasize the fact that we should be optimistic and optimism is not necessarily this silly idea and, and you know, the world's really good, life is good, so why, why, don't we, why aren't more people optimistic? And I wrote an article you can see on the blog called Optimism is Realism, Where's Your Focus? And what I realized as I wrote it is I started off with kind of examples of how in my own life I have either seen things from an optimistic perspective or seen things from a pessimistic perspective and how I've done well to the extent I did the former and have not done as well to the extent I did the latter. But, um, and basically highlighted my appreciation for things that I have. And then I made a second point that, by the way, given what's going on in the world, um, there's not really much reason for pessimism. I think that optimism is a more rational MO given how good life is. And I don't want to really get into kind of the proof of that, the the assessment of and the evidence for global optimism and, and how life just keeps getting better for us. Uh, certainly in countries where we listen to podcasts, I, I know that a lot of the world doesn't enjoy the same level as uh, material prosperity as we do. But I mean, just generally, and I think that a lot of people... You know, I think we don't really have as much to complain about as we we think. And looking at at that, um, we should be choosing a more positive uh, view of, of the of the world in our own lives. But as I said, I don't want to kind of break that down right now. I actually uh, will do a show on that later, hopefully with a good guest who can break it down much better than I can. Um, so uh, that's all later. Um, but back to what happened here. I, so I made the first point that, that I was, you know, I focused and I was appreciating things in my life. And then I also say, made the second point that optimism is about looking out and seeing that things are good and choosing them. But what if they're not good? What if th- that's not really helpful, right? To, to say, well, if things are not good, if I'm in some bad situation or something and I can clearly see the negatives outweigh the positives, well, then I, do I say, well, I'm a pessimist then. So really assessing a situation is not non-defining. It doesn't define what is characteristically optimistic behavior or an optimistic attitude and what is characteristically pessimism. So there's quite an unhelpful formulation. So as much as I liked the article and I thought the message was good enough, I found that something was unclear, that it's not just about optimism is about look at the world. Optimists are rational and pessimists are delusional because there are other situations where clearly the full assessment would call for abandoning the project um, or saying this is not not looking very good. 
But yet, I want to propose that we still adopt an optimistic attitude. And that's what we'll see more of in the next episode. But for now, let me bring us to an example, the, the classic metaphor, the glass half, di- half full, the glass half empty, which I think illustrates that it is not about an assessment, right? In this case, it's a, it's a, it's a half-half, right? And who is the realist? If the pessimist says it's half empty and the pe- optimist says it's half full, who, is, who is, has the kind of correct assessment of reality here? Well, they both do. But then what should we do? Well, an optimist looks at the fact that they have water and the pessimist looks at the things that they don't have. So this clearly is more essentially what defines an optimist and a pessimist. And that's a good start. But then there's still somewhere where people in situations uh, in life, um, the optimist is kind of looked at as a bit of a uh, ignorant um Ignorance is bliss, kind of always happy, always thinking everything is good, even when it isn't, and kind of a very non-objective um, view of of, uh, of what an optimist is. And it's hard to, to get away from that because such people do exist. And then what happens is people think that, well, that's certainly kind of irrational. And what we ought to do is, well, employ some kind of pessimistic attitude, to counter it, to balance and offset and become closer to objective. But then you also have the optimist who can say that pessimism, in fact, is a delusional or irrational approach itself because it's obviously often overvaluing the negative aspects of things. And therefore, we need to balance it with a bit of the optimism and kind of thinking things are okay to bring us closer to objectivity. And I thought, well, why do we, why do we, we shouldn't be balancing kind of a irrationally, um, overly pessimistic person with an overly optimistic person, even when it's unwarranted. These kind of two subjective or irrational, uh, things, and we want to balance them somehow. Well, what about just the alternative of having an, ob- being objective? And, and I'm going to lay out later more, especially more in the, in the second part, why being objective is the kind of the the optimistic attitude. It is the attitude of looking at what you have, and then of course choosing to focus on what you do have, regardless of the situation. So in my essay, I have some examples of how it applies, and I think I'll go through some more of those in the second uh, part of this. But uh, for now, maybe I'll go back to one particular example in my own life where I can kind of show you what optimism versus pessimism looks like and what appreciation looks like. And partly how well before I formulated this idea, I was kind of somewhat living by it. But if I had been more explicit about it and deliberate about it, I think I would have uh, you know, progressed in my life a lot more quickly. But I'm going to take it back to 2006, and I lived in Seoul, the biggest city in Korea. And I lived in a really busy area there. And... I taught at an adult academy, uh, English academy. So uh, with that, I would go have a lot of early morning classes, getting students and business people, working people uh, early before they went to class or work, and then some afternoon classes and then evening classes after work and after school. So it was quite a long day. But the way I saw it was I was living in this amazing city, really busy, 
exciting, vibrant city, and I would, you know, wear a suit to work and get out on this on the bus um, to work, and and uh, I would listen to a CD player. That's right, a CD player. Imagine that, um, and enjoy uh, my morning commute. Right, it was all part of my day, and then I would go and see see interesting people and talk to them and do uh, fun work. Um, and on my break time, I could go and sit in a coffee shop um, and kind of either relax or do something kind of semi-productive. Um, at that time in my late 20s and during all through my 20s, I did a lot of reading at that time. So I would do a lot of reading. And looking out the window, I was in this busy area where uh, every every two minutes when the light changed at the intersection, you'd get a new, a fresh bunch of 200 or 300 people crossing the road. So we're in a real, really exciting place. And it's like, I live and work here and, you know, I, I, I can make it here. You know, I make it here. I can make it anywhere. I thought, this is great. Um, and of course I wanted more, but I was really thinking that I had it good. And back in my apartment, uh, I'll give you, this is part of the key here, that Seoul is obviously very busy and real estate is wildly expensive. And the academy gives all the teachers a home to live in. And of course, they're not going to give you something with overly spacious or anything. And I lived in what you could call a shoebox, um, a very small place with basically one room where the bed and desk and TV were all in you know, I could reach out and touch them all at once, almost touch both walls at once, and then small shower with the washing machine right in there, and then just where you walk in and take off your shoes, that's where the fridge is out there too. So it's just a really small place. And But I didn't really notice. I just thought, I live in this great place, and I step out of my door, and I'm in this wildly exciting area uh, right near a subway station, a very busy subway station with lots of action, and especially a guy in his late 20s, I was just loving it. Now, years later, I was visiting with my wife around the area we were hanging out, and I I thought, hey, we're really close to where I used to live. Why don't we go check out my my old hood and my old home? I'll show you where I lived. So I took her up the hill this thing and uh, while most people live in apartments in Korea apartment buildings tall buildings um, this was in an older neighborhood and it was kind of one of these little units that opens right out onto the street and you could see the door and it was this old horrible looking door and the window was you know just decrepit looking and I explained what was behind the door and I said this is where I lived and my wife started to cry and I thought what are you crying about and she said I just imagine you living there. And that struck me at the time thinking, oh, I see. You could, you could create a whole scenario of this poor guy just, you know, just kind of struggling and can't make it look where he's living in this place. And I think that's how a lot of people look at similar situations in, in, in life um, and how people are doing who, who live in those kind of places or, you know, any variety of person. But of course, you saw how I looked at it, and I thought it was great. So this is a real example of how uh, appreciation for what you have is a really powerful tool on its own. So that's a very brief intro into objective optimism, or at least as a lead into why I think we need a new concept of optimism, uh, as distinct from pessimism and, of course, from what I'm calling subjective optimism. 
But we're going to learn a lot more about that as we break it open and break it down in the next episode. Um, but going into this, it was really hard to decide where to start and, and how to go about presenting it uh, orally. Um, the best treatment of it so far, by far, is the essay on my blog, uh, the essay, What is Objective Optimism? If you go there, you'll get kind of a clear definition of what it is, and then a comparative table, breaking down various characteristics and results of, uh, of each uh, mental approach, let's call it. Um, but I think uh, I think a really good way in any case, um, even after we conclude the next show, is to get questions from listeners. So I invite you to please ask me a question about anything you've heard here, anything that's unclear, anything that might help you uh, get a better handle on what I'm talking about. But I will say that regardless, today and next show, uh, things will be revealed as we go along in the show in general. But um, but for now, I'd really love to hear from you. Um, ask me about it. Of course, another thing I want to say uh, in this is that while solo shows are good um, and I'll never run out of ideas uh, and things that are, uh, you know, ideas that I want to share with you, I really prefer to do interviews, which is one of the main reasons why I started this podcast. I want to talk with interesting people who have um, good ways of thinking about something, who have good approaches to their lives and are succeeding or thriving in some aspect. Um, and that includes in any, uh, any aspect of life. So if you have someone who you think would be a good interview, please recommend that person to me and I'll reach out to them. Of course, uh, I hope that you share this um, this podcast, uh, this episode, and any other podcast uh, that I do, and, and the podcast in general. Um, on whatever media you consume, please subscribe so you don't uh, miss out on the next episode. Uh, like it, do all the things you're supposed to do to kind of put the word out and see if we can connect with more people. Because the more people we get involved here the better the conversation we can have and the richer the ideas and the more uh, better off our own lives will be. So thanks for all that, guys. Uh, I'll see you next time when we break down objective optimism in more depth. And until then, have a good one. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side. 